This episode is brought to you by face masks. Please wear them in all public places. Y'all really made me nervous on my drive back up to Michigan. Welcome back, everybody, to My Fave Queer Chemist. I'm your host, Becca. And I'm Geraldo. And before we get started, we want to take a moment to think about all the lives that have been lost to police brutality. Earlier this week, George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis by a police officer. Events like these are hard to process, especially for people of color and other minoritized individuals. Even in the midst of this pandemic, we all need to think of how to better support and show up for black and brown people in this country. We hope that y'all are staying safe and healthy out there. Here's our show. Welcome back, everybody, to My Fave Queer Chemist. I'm Becca. And I'm Geraldo, and today we're really excited to introduce you to an incredible chemist. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Grace Panetti. Uh, I go by uh, she, her, hers. I got my undergrad at the university, or Clemson University in Clemson, South Carolina. I uh, also did a research experience at the National University of Singapore through a research experience for undergrads event. So that was really cool. Uh, And so in my undergrad, I did a lot of peptide mimetic chemistry. And then at the University of Singapore, I did some work on copper nanoparticles uh, and their ability to reduce CO2 into useful um, materials. And uh, with an organic and an inorganic background, I I went on to the University of Pennsylvania, where I'm a joint student in a group, uh, Professor Walsh, Patrick Walsh, and Eric Shelter. I am now uh, about to start my sixth year as a PhD student. And uh, so vaguely, I'm interested in organometallic synthesis, catalysis, uh, and I I really like photochemistry and electrochemistry. That's really cool. Nice. That's like a little bit of what me and Geraldo do. I do a little bit of photochemistry and Geraldo does some organometallics. So that's that's awesome. Cool little blend. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found this program of the University of Singapore and how was that? The university, so the program was, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, but uh, so there was a material science uh, research experience for undergrads, which is hosted through the NSF. So three of us went to Singapore. Uh, I believe four of us went to Italy. And then three of us went to the UK and uh, funding was also provided for a group of people that was uh, through a different program went to Germany. Being in Singapore was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. And (laughs) the labs are set up very differently there. Uh, I actually got to, uh, one of the professors from the University of Singapore recently came to UPenn and we were able to like chat about like how it's different here, especially now, since I've had much more experience in a laboratory setting, I can really see how different it is. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Uh, I don't think personally uh, uh, I would ever live in Singapore, but I really liked the, I mean, the food there is amazing. And uh, (laughs) the research that they do there is great. Uh, It's just, uh, uh, it's a little too far away from home (laughs) to like live the rest of my life. Uh, So I just, uh, I had a great time. I made some really cool uh, friends and colleagues 
And uh, it's always a cool story to be able to say like, oh yeah, I went halfway across the world and did research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That is, yeah, that's pretty cool. I know that, that the ACS used to have a program. I think it was something about ACS scholars because I have a friend that did also a, a summer research in Italy and was like um, paid by ACS. This program that I'm talking about was mm-hmm. also organized by the ACS. Oh, maybe it was the same program. So we may have been in the same program. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's so cool. So how is the experience of being in two labs at um, UPenn? How's that been? So uh, that's always, I feel like that's the first question that people ask me when I <laughs> tell them my laboratory setup. They're Sorry. like, oh, uh, you joined t- No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> it, obviously, it's a hot question. Um, uh, so uh, it's always the first one that people ask me. And uh, I, I feel like my answer has changed over the years as mm-hmm. I've gone through it and I've really figured it out. I personally have liked it a lot. But I think if people are going to pursue this path, they need to be very, very judicious about the uh, people they select. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a matter of, I mean, first of all, make sure that you can somehow blend these two PIs together. Uh, My suggestion for people looking for something like this is find a PI that's had a joint student before. Look at where they are. Are they happy with the interaction they had with their two PIs? So when I came in, Eric and Pat had had a joint postdoc and a a joint PhD student. And the joint PhD student is now a professor at Brown. His name's Jerome Robinson. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the postdoc is off in industry now. So obviously something went right. Many Mm -hmm. papers were published and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It was good. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, what I found is uh, you need to make sure that your PIs can not only put up with each other, but actually like each other, mm-hmm. which is not always uh, apparent in your first uh, little bit. But mm-hmm. if, uh, if, if you go up to a PI and they've had a collaboration in the past and mm-hmm. joint students in the past and they're willing to do it again, most of the time they like each other. They don't just right. put up with each other. Right. I think I personally like the, there's a bit I mean, Eric and Pat are very different in the way that they mentor people. And mm-hmm. I like that because Eric is a lot more focus on one thing, make sure you finish this thing. And when you finish this thing, you can move on to the next. Mm-hmm. And that's very important when you're getting close to the end and you're trying to like wrap everything up and get everything done. It's nice to feel like you're making substantial progress towards your goals, uh, whatever that may be. Pat, on the other hand, is very interested in anything you're interested in and is willing to just say, well, why don't you try this? And why don't you try this? And when things aren't going well, that's very nice to be able to hear and like feel hopeful and these sorts of keep yourself motivated to keep coming in the lab and enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, I think like there... I only know of a few people who have ended up doing joint labs at Michigan. I think what, like what you're saying is totally correct. And at least what we've seen in that, like the labs that do have like relationships with each other are normally the labs that have like a higher chance of having having joint joint. students and things like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, but that's really interesting. Yeah. It's uh, more since I've been here, there are at least two other joint students uh, Mm -hmm. right now. 
is one is in between the Peterson lab and the Rhodes lab. And uh, the other one is in between the Goldberg lab and the Malou. So it's kind of interesting to see how these have popped up over time. Yeah. And do you have rotations at UPenn or? So the rotation, uh, the rotation thing is kind of interesting at Penn. So only the people that are considered in the biological division do oh, rotations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Uh, there have been talks about other groups. Like uh, PCHEM has been very proactive about thinking about doing rotations and trying to get that to happen. I, I don't, I'm not involved in those yeah. talks at all. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I... It, it comes up like every so often, like maybe we should do rotations and then it just mm-hmm. doesn't happen. So that's been what's going on right now with that. Uh, I did, I actually participated in what we call like a zero year type program. So I uh, came up the summer before my PhD and did mm-hmm. some work in Pat's lab. And uh, I was just with Pat at the time and then continued on into my PhD. And we pick our labs by the end of our first semester. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I had decided uh, that I would join Eric and Pat's lab. Cool. So do you feel supported by the chemistry department at UPenn as an LGBTQ plus person? I, I do. I think, I always think that, and I think this can be said anywhere. I think uh, mm-hmm. all departments could do more to support right. their LGBT uh, students. And uh, I mean, any minority, honestly, I feel they could do more. I think that the PIs in general are very accepting. Most of the time they get my pronouns right. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some notable exceptions. I don't want to talk about that, so we won't. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the LGBT Center at the University of Pennsylvania is very proactive in trying to get trainings happening and stuff like that. And even people uh, that on paper I wouldn't expect to be very supportive have been great allies in this, and I wasn't expecting it. But here they are, and they're doing a great job, and I've really enjoyed my time as an LGBTQ person here at Penn. Recently, we've actually kind of started a grassroots student-led organization called Wavelength, and uh, it's for queer solidarity in the chemistry department. Oh, that's cool. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, So it was started by a a recent graduate, and he roped in myself and two other queer people in the department and we started it off unfortunately with like coronavirus uh, we haven't done much of anything right Uh, so i hope in all likelihood i'll probably graduate by the time that Mm -hmm. we're actually getting back up and going again but hopefully this continues after all is said and done yeah would you say that there is um like a fairly decent sized queer community inside the chemistry department uh i wouldn't i mean it's kind of hard to say uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh, because not every queer person is out right uh but among the people who are out there are a fair amount of us i mean i guess it's a department of about a hundred or so and Mm -hmm. there's there's about 10 or 12 like very active queer people uh in the department so i'd say it's like, it, it's definitely not selected against, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And has that been instrumental at all in your time in graduate school so far, like having other queer people in the department? It, it has helped a lot. Uh, I mean, 
Unfortunately, there are no other, uh, at least out, trans women Mm -hmm. in the chemistry department right now. Mm -hmm. We did actually have a support staff who was a trans woman that transitioned a long time ago. So I did get to know her and we got to talk and that made me feel uh, much more welcome seeing like a face that's very similar to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, we have had and still have uh, some people that are gender Mm non-conforming and queer in the sense of their sexuality. Yeah, that's That's good. good. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that at least for us, it's been really um, important Mm -hmm. that we've had queer people in our department. I think like it's a little bit easier maybe to find queer community outside of chemistry and outside of the STEM world, but finding it in is also like, I think equally, if not more important, especially if that's, you know, our life for five years or six years and beyond, so. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about your identity as a trans woman and how that intersects with your identification as a lesbian? It's a double whammy, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) So it, uh, it's been like, oh my God, it's so weird. I really like, I like sitting on panels for the LGBTQ center. And so there was one time I was, I was in front of some big wigs at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And someone asked, wait, you can be that? And uh, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, that can happen. I mean, right. I didn't used to believe that to be true mm-hmm. uh, because I was fed right. things that led me to believe that's not true. So it's not surprising that someone would have that question, but mm-hmm. it's right. also like, it makes sense that these two things should be equal to each other because if you believe that uh, trans women are women, and you can believe that women can be lesbians. So I, I don't think it's too much of a mental jump to say, oh yeah, trans women can be lesbians because right. all of these things seem to make sense. And, and it's, um, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying to douse on that person from right. uh, that was involved. It, it's, it's something that I didn't believe until probably weeks before I realized that I was trans because that was actually that was the last misconception about myself that I had to get past before I was able to realize, oh yeah, I'm not the gender that doctors and people tell me I am. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm something different. So it's a hard thing to get your head around, but I don't feel like it should be that hard to get right. around. It's just, we've been taught that it's right. something right. hard. Definitely. But on top of that, being a trans woman and being a lesbian at the same time uh, has definitely unfortunately made me feel like in many ways that I don't belong in certain women only communities because right if you go on any chat that are centered for lesbians or or trans women you'll see them say I feel like I'm being predatory or I'm faking it or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. and then you just put those two together and then it uh, kind of becomes like a storm Mm -hmm. so uh, getting in touch with my identity as a woman has been, I feel harder because of these two things. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And uh, how that has an impact on my self-worth and things like that, of course, Mm -hmm. impacts how I interact in my career and stuff like that. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. That's like a deep question. (laughs) So I, uh, so I, I came out like, six years ago a little over six years ago now so this is this is six years of work to get to these sorts of places so uh 
luckily most of these conversations are behind me at this mm. point. We really appreciate you saying that because I'm sure there's other people that feel like what you're saying and then that they feel exactly like that. And then yeah. like, knowing that there are other people that are going through or went through the same thing. You know? Yeah, it's very hard. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not gonna, like people say like it gets better and it does, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. It just is. And it's very important to find either hope or community or something mm -hmm. like that that can really, and, and different people will need different things. So I can't mm -hmm. just say like, you need this, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, finding hope and community within friends or allies or people within the community, people outside of the community, whatever you need, mm -hmm. uh, believe in that and don't lose hope because it's very important. People do care about you. They want you to succeed. So you mentioned that you came out six years ago. Did you come out before graduate school? And was that important for you to start off graduate school? Feeling oh, yes. like more in touch with yourself? Oh, yeah. So, um, so right, I, I was born and raised in South Carolina. And I went to undergrad in South Carolina. Right. And I know South Carolina is super famous for being very LGBTQ friendly, uh, <laughs> maybe slightly less than their northern neighbor, North Carolina. But I decided that I was going to start using grace as soon as I entered graduate school, full-time. I was just going to go full-time. I didn't care if I'd gotten on hormones yet or not. That was the goal. And I felt like in choosing a graduate school, I actually chose the University of Pennsylvania because it was so LGBT-friendly. The LGBT center is the largest in the United States. So obviously they care about making sure that people feel welcome and that there's a space for this sort for LGBTQ people. I mean, I met Eric, who is an out gay man, uh, and he's awesome. And I really have enjoyed the mentorship he's been able to give me as a member of the queer community. And then I did actually have some bad experiences in like my visitation weekends and stuff like that at uh, some other schools. And with all this storm of wanting to leave the Southeast because of certain cultural reasons, I, I came up to the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, um, it's, uh, I'm not gonna say that you can't be queer and be in the South because that's just not true. After coming out and like out completely, so I waited about a year after being in Philadelphia to just kind of like tell everybody, like I just came out publicly and most of the people that my parents meet and they talk about, they're like, oh yeah, so-and-so I met and they were like, how's Grace doing? And they used Grace, I want you to know. And I'm like, how's she, how's she doing? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's nice mom and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so like, uh, it probably would have worked out even if I had stayed in the South, but I decided that I just wanted to leave that behind mm -hmm. and make it easier. I, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to start fresh. And yeah. uh, right. so I did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can definitely relate to that. I'm from Louisiana and like rural <laughs> Louisiana. And I went to college in Memphis, Tennessee, which is a little bit more progressive than right, right. most other places. And I, I was very fortunate that I had like a really good, queer community there like near the end of college but yeah. I think very similarly I was like I don't think I can go to graduate school in the south and I think like looking back on like I didn't even apply to a single school in the south because I was like I'm not I don't want even want that option looking back that's like 
kind of maybe a silly idea, like yeah. thing that I did, but going I did something said, even worse, actually. What? <laughs> I did apply to a school in the South, and it's a very good school in the South, and I got in, and then I just didn't even go <laughs> for my visitating <laughs> visitation like, weekend. I think so, like what you're saying is like I, I had a very similar mindset that like I want wanted to go somewhere that I felt like I could really start over mm-hmm. and not that I had like overly like traumatizing experiences when I was in right. the south but I think just starting someplace fresh and like 100% yourself or at least like I felt like I was starting graduate school a lot more or like in a, a lot better of a place than I started undergrad because I just like understood myself a lot better and things like that. So I think like that's a very, that's like a normal thing to want, even if like, yeah, the South isn't all horrible. I think that a lot of people write it off for like a lot of different reasons, which can sometimes be unfair. But I think like, yeah, similar to you, I was like, I want to go experience something completely different. I never thought I would end it, but (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to experience like something completely different and I also chose University of Michigan like one of the reasons why I chose it was because Mm. of like the really like fruitful LGBTQ community both in the chemistry department and outside of it so Mm -hmm. I think like for those people who are choosing graduate schools who may want that I think that that's like something super important to look for oh yeah yeah I I mean most of us are going to be moving someplace very different because right. we don't grow up in the place where the best or whatever graduate school that you want to go to right. is. So it's yeah. a good chance to have that reinvention. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, come to the Midwest. <laughs> or the is is Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania is not the north. north oh, oh no no. So Philly is, Philly is like forty minutes from the coast. Pennsylvania is so. the northeast. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Never mind. I'm, I'm really we would bad. say the mid Atlantic. <laughs> I'm really bad at geography. It's like it's really yeah. funny. I was like driving from Michigan to Texas, where I am right now, with my family because they recently oh, moved here. No. Um, it hasn't been too bad, but oh, okay. like I so I drove down uh, from Michigan to Texas and I was very confused as to like what states I was in like during my entire drive I was like this is where like Oklahoma is oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm very bad with geography needless to say so am I yeah so we've talked a little bit about this um, already, but people often conflate gender and sexuality to be the same thing, or they can't really wrap their head around like the, like the complexities that being on the spectrum of gender and sexuality, um, like those different complexities are. So how would you best explain that difference, at least in your own experience? Right. So I guess I would say that I tried to think of something cute or something like that for this question. If you can understand that people can be homosexual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and people don't aren't necessarily the gender that they're born as, I, I don't think it's that big of a leak to say that if people don't identify as the gender they're born as, they can also still like whoever they're attracted to. I mean, it's, um, mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say like, it's kind of like imagining that all shirts are red, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but you know there are shirts and there are pants but there's also dresses and there's also skirts and all sorts of other stuff mm -hmm. uh and there's not just red there's blue and orange and green and uh, maybe you might change and uh, you don't have to wear that red shirt all day or like your entire life. You can wear green shirts sometimes and things are always changing and it's sexuality and gender is a very, very complicated thing that I don't understand. And I don't think that anyone really, uh, <laughs> anybody really understands like the origin of gender and sexuality in like a biological sense. And like mm -hmm. every so often we get these articles and yeah. behavioral science and they'll say that they figured it out. And then like two months later, another one comes out that says something right. totally different. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, it's just really hard. And I understand that people have trouble with this sort of thing because looking at the, the cartoons I watched growing up and mm -hmm. all of these sorts of things, it kind of seemed like no matter what, the boys were going to be rowdy and all sorts of stuff. And they were going to like the girls and they were going to grow up and be happy and move to the suburbs with their wife and whatever. But life's not a simple, simply written cartoon. It's much more complicated than that. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I was I was um, reading a book last week that I think put it really well. It was like, what if our understanding of sexuality and gender can be as fluid as sexuality and gender are? So like, I think that those of us who maybe are in the LGBTQ community or who like have really close relationships with people who are in the queer community, like can understand that gender and sexuality for them like are fairly fluid and really depends on the person and like you're saying like it can change over time there is no as much as we try to pinpoint mm -hmm. like certain identities we can't really it just like yeah. is constantly changing and so i think our understanding should also be as fluid and you know sometimes we'll understand things a little bit better but as long as we're like being respectful of people and take people at their word for whatever they choose to identify at as mm -hmm. at that certain moment or whatever i think that it can lead to a lot of us being more accepting yes so, definitely yeah. so i know i know you talked about this a little bit but would you say that your various identities have had any effect in your career so far and it doesn't have to be just lgbtq plus identities so definitely my queer identities have had uh, impacts on like where I decided to go to school. And so I, I purposefully picked the University of Pennsylvania because it is so LGBTQ friendly. And it has impacted like directions that I've gone. But personally, I mean, now I'm not, I don't know everything, right? I, I don't think it's had an impact in the sense that an opportunity has been taken away from me right. or something like that, more than my own decision not to follow up on an opportunity or something like that, uh, which is related to self-confidence and these sorts of things that I think every person that's a minority deals with at some point mm -hmm. or another in their life. Some other things that are kind of identities that I have that have probably actually had more of an impact on my career and things like that is I'm actually epileptic. And uh, with the type of epilepsy that I have, I'm not actually able to drink alcohol. And uh, 
I think everybody understands the alcohol culture that is mm-hmm. present. I, I won't just say in academia, it's everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's othering in a lot of regards. Uh, it's, it's weird. And when people are intoxicated, they're more likely to ask me again and again and again and again because they forget. So that's been uh, one of the identities I think that's had a pretty big impact on like feeling a sense of togetherness and these sorts of things. I am lucky to be part of a department that is fairly queer and has a lot of out queer people, not just like closeted queer people, but Mm -hmm. out queer people. So uh, I would say in that, in terms of my LGBTQ identity, it hasn't had much of an impact in that regard. And it may have actually helped in terms of finding a community in that sort of sense. Yeah, that's good. So what advice would you give your younger self? If you had asked me this question maybe four years ago or something, I would have been like, oh, I've got the answer. It's <laughs> like, I'd go back to this exact date and I would like say to myself, don't you dare chicken out of telling your parents that uh, like, because I, I almost did when I was like really young. And then I uh, got like cold feet and decided not to. And then waited another like eight years before like actually looking into it. But it's life is very complicated and I don't know if like telling myself to really explore myself would have necessarily been the best thing at the age of or when I was 12 and in uh South Carolina middle school because uh middle school is already hard enough when you're five two and uh, a lot shorter and smaller than everybody else and yeah uh you're not as athletic as other people are and you're dealing with large amounts of a hormone that your brain doesn't know what to deal with like doesn't know how to deal with uh i'm not sure if it would have been the best thing to tell myself back then and like as i said i years ago i would have said that that would have been what i wanted to do but like when i actually came out and i realized that i was like i came to terms with the fact that i was trans things like dysphoria and things started coming to the forefront and made things much more difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm not sure uh, if I would tell myself something different because I think I've been pretty lucky or uh, maybe not lucky, but I've definitely had a lot of privilege and a lot of regards about I've been able to get a good position at a great PhD program and Mm -hmm. I'm pretty successful and I'm I'm happy I have a partner that I love and all sorts of stuff like that and like I said when I was when I was in the earlier parts of my transition I was so caught up with what I could have done and how I should have done things and these sorts of things but I found that those whenever I focus too much on that sort of stuff it just makes me upset mm-hmm. because I can't I can't do these things right i can't right. build a time machine and change the course of history and stuff mm-hmm. like that but if i if i were to offer a suggestion to someone who's in a similar state that i was in now i would say everything's going to be okay you don't need to worry about what other people think i know that's really hard yeah but you will be okay because there are people that really do care about you and they don't care who you are, who you love, these sorts of things. And they're going to take care of you. You just have to, you may have to find them, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, but you will be happier when you find out and 
you are true to yourself. That's that's amazing. That was very beautiful. Thank you that for was sharing. Very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> we should put a disclaimer uh, this episode saying like this episode may cause you to cry mm-hmm. maybe tear ahead uh, you know yeah. I, I was i was crying earlier because and this would <laughs> be very silly i was watching naruto like the original series and then no, 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 go ahead. And then, uh, the episode I was watching today, it was one of the one of the characters of the of the series was people were bullying him because he was not a good ninja because he was you know bigger and slower and don't laugh. Oh, so you were watching an episode about Choji? Yeah, it was about Choji. It was about I, I don't know people people might not know, but yeah, it was an episode about Choji, and then like he was very sad because those kids were like neglecting him because of that, and then Choji's dad told him like, oh, don't worry you just need to find friends that would actually accept you and friends that would actually love you and then they show how he met one of his friends and then uh shikamaru yeah shikamaru oh god i can't (laughs) believe that i'm just like (laughs) spawning off these names right now Uh, and then i was i was just crying because i said you know like i don't know you you really just have to wait and you know you you'll you'll meet the right people because there is people that really care about you and then people that really love you and i know i was just watching anime but yeah. It, it happens in real life. Like, yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Definitely. And I think, like, going to what you were saying a little bit earlier, like, my friend Emma says that we all come out when when it's the exact right time for us. And mm-hmm. yes. I think, like, I felt really insecure because I came out a lot later than a lot of my other queer friends. Like, it wasn't until the end of college and then, like, the beginning of graduate school that I really, like, came into my, like, sexuality and my gender identity. And so, like, I would always feel really insecure about that. Like, oh, I have to catch up on being queer because, like, I'm a little bit later. But then, like, the way that she put it is that, like, your younger self had to go through all of that so that you were ready for the moment that you were really going to, like, come into your own and come into yourself. Yeah. I mean, you have to get this sense of self. And my my younger brother is uh, was a psychology major. And we have like these discussions about the sense of self and these sorts of like grandiose <laughs> ideas. But like when you're really young, it's it's hard to have not only the sense of self that like, oh, something... I, I don't like how people view me. What does that mean? Well, maybe it means this. And then you get to the point where you have to have the self-confidence to act on that, which is a whole nother game. And it takes a long time, a lot of growing up to get there. So last question, who's your chemistry role model and why? So I was thinking about this question as well. And like, I don't really, I don't like to look up to the people that I've never met. Unfortunately, I have, I have a hard time doing it. And like, I feel like people would say like, just very famous people. But one of my chemistry role models beyond, I mean, Eric and Pat are, of course, some of my role models and stuff like that. But outside of those two, because I've already given them a spot, spotlight in this uh, discussion, uh, is Teshik. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think Teshik's cool as crap. I love his research. He seems like a really a really nice person every time that I, uh, he's actually come to the University of Pennsylvania twice since I've been here. He remembered who I am. Like it, uh, it really gives me, he always excites me. 
when he talks about chemistry and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And the things that he's done with his research career are very inspiring. Beyond uh, the role models that I've mentioned, I'd say Teshik is probably one of my chemistry role models. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely one of mine. Um, mm -hmm. We got to inter interview him a few episodes back. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to that interview, but that was, I think, like, Geraldo and I both were, like, major fangirling. <laughs> he's, he's amazing, and he's so, like, kind and sweet. He, like, has totally made a name for himself in his specific fields, but then he's, like, still so kind, and yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know. He's, he's amazing. He is amazing. Yeah, he, uh, he's a queer chemistry star. Yeah, definitely, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So last, last question, where can people <laughs> find you on social media if they want to connect? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I am like on most of the social media platforms. I don't use them a whole lot, mm -hmm. uh, but I use Twitter the most right now. Uh, so you can find me, I think it's just at Grace Panetti. Uh, I, I follow my queer chemist, so you can back look through there and find me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also on Instagram. I don't post there very often, but you will see pictures of me because my uh, my wonderful girlfriend loves posting pictures. Uh, and every so often, you might see a, a picture of a giant crystal that I grow or something like that if you <laughs> yeah. are interested in that. I am on Facebook as well. Uh, Although I'm much more judicious, I, I try to keep it with people that I know mm -hmm. personally. So if you ever meet me at a conference, feel free to reach out on Facebook as well. <laughs> well, I think that was all we had. Thank you so much. This was an incredible conversation. It was really good, yeah. Well, well thank you so much. Yeah, no bye. Problem. Thank you for organizing this. Of course. Of course. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Pride Month this year, we're really excited to announce we'll be doing a new series called Celebrating Excellence in STEM. For the entire month of June, we'll be publishing interviews with various LGBTQ voices in the STEM field twice a week. These scientists have studied everything from statistics, biogeochemistry, nuclear engineering, and more, all while making incredible contributions to LGBTQ plus advocacy and visibility. Be on the lookout on our Twitter for the full list of our all-star interviewees. This is our most ambitious project to date, so we hope that you enjoy our conversations with these incredible scientists and celebrate Pride Month in a way that honors the lives and careers of LGBTQ people everywhere. And as always, remember to fill out the nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at MFQCPod. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see you next week. Bye. Adios. <laughs>